introducing a new Bible book, Jeremiah. So, Jeremiah is very similar to Isaiah in that Jeremiah is a prophet telling, uh, once again, telling Judah that you're in sin and trying to warn them uh, against certain doom that's going to happen to them. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah certainly had the opportunity when all the doom and gloom happened to say, I told you so. Right? Yeah. That. <laughs> but he didn't do that. Suffering the lake of fire. Yeah, he, he could have done that, but he didn't. Uh, what did he do? Instead, he suffered right along with them as all of these terrible things uh, started to happen. So Jeremiah the prophet, he prophesied from around, this is something worth writing down, from around 626 to 586 B.C. 626 to 586. That's about the time he was in his ministry. It's not when he lived and died. That's when he prophesied. Okay? Jeremiah or, or are we still talking about Isaiah? No, this is Jeremiah. Okay, I so. Isaiah, Isaiah had his ministry about 60 years before this. So we're 60 years later. Okay? When did Jeremiah From 626 to 586 B.C. And of course, he wrote Jeremiah. What other book did he write in the Bible? Ooh. Anyone remember? No. Uh, Lamentations. Yeah, Lamentations. Right. And, and Jeremiah worked with another guy named Baruch, who was a good friend of his. And he worked with Jeremiah as a secretary and as a companion to him. You know, being a doom and gloom prophet and everybody hates you, you know, you tend to get kind of lonely. So. Jeremiah has Baruch to keep him company. And Baruch is probably the guy who wrote down many of the prophecies that Jeremiah gave. And what does the, uh, the name Jeremiah mean? You've read this. It means, uh, I remember this. It wasn't the remnant. It was the... Uh, no, that was ancient. It was... Uh, Where's the introduction? I need to find it. No, stop. (laughs) It's okay. I'll just tell you. I can't sit too long. The Lord establishes. The Lord establishes. So Jeremiah began his ministry around the age of 20 years old in the 13th year of Josiah the king. And he lived during all of Josiah's reforms as a child. Remember, Josiah was a good king, and he was trying to, from the top down, Reset, thing, reset Israel back to the way they were, worshiping the true God. Now, when you try to do things from the top down and the people's hearts aren't right, usually the reforms don't last very long, which they didn't. Okay, so after Josiah died, uh, Wait, Judah... Hmm? Josiah was the king? Yeah, during, during uh, Jeremiah's like early life. Uh, but after he died, Israel was still in their sin and things went back to went back to pot again, okay? So, most of his prophecies, though, as an adult, were given during the reigns of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. And the storyline of the book stretches from about 627 to 562 B.C. That's the storyline of the book. It covers quite a few years. It covers uh, almost 60 years, right? Uh, 627 to 562 B.C. And so uh, the book of Jeremiah picks up about 60 years after the end of the book of Isaiah. 
and it deals with the last 40 years of Judah's decline to their final exile. You know, one big problem with reading and studying Jeremiah is figuring out the chronological order of things. Uh, the chronological, there's no, it's not put in chronological order, the prophecies. So the book doesn't follow the order in which things happened. So there is a mixing of early prophecies and later prophecies, which, which makes it difficult to know when these things happen. For example, chapters 1 through 6 and chapter 11 and 12 are set in the time of King Josiah. Okay? While uh, chapters 7 through 10, 14 through 20, see chapter 22, verses 1 through 19, and chapter 26 seem to refer to the later time when Nebuchadnezzar came to power. So the messages and the, the, the order, like if you read Jeremiah from beginning to end, it's not in chronological order. Why was it arranged like this if it's not in chronological order? Well, the arrangement of the book uh, places the, God's good and wonderful promises of his grace in the new covenant, which is in Jeremiah 31. He places that right in the middle of the book. Okay, so that is in the center of the book. That's what Jeremiah wanted. So the book seems to be arranged by theme. And Jeremiah's book can be seen, uh, as you know, the writer in Omnibus says, as a beautiful rose in the middle of center of thorns, ugly thorns all around it. Right? So the judgment of God and the misery of, of sin are all around, but what's at the center of the book and what's at the center of uh, all of this is God's promise of salvation. And, and of course, the new covenant is a wonderful promise that God will be merciful to his disobedient people and that he will forgive their sins. And who ultimately fulfilled this promise? Hmm? Who ultimately fulfilled the, the promise that was in the that was going to come to fruition in the New Testament, in the New Covenant? Jesus. Huh? God. Well, more specifically, Jesus. Jesus, exactly. Right. So just as the bright petals and the, the this perfect arrangement of the rose stand out in the midst of the thorns. It is God's great mercy that is at the center of these prophecies of judgment and doom. So Jeremiah is an island of gospel promises in the middle of this stormy sea of judgment on the people of God. Uh, In Jeremiah's time, there were many other prophets in Judah, and, and these prophets and these priests were disobeying the Lord. And Jeremiah 8.11 says this about those prophets and priests. He says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So uh, these prophets and these priests were giving false prophecies. And in the midst of all this, you know, basically the prophets were saying, It's okay, guys. Uh, God is still good to us. He's still faithful to us. Um, it's going to be okay. And in the midst of all that, Jeremiah was called by God to give a message that nobody wanted to hear. Nobody wanted to hear that there wasn't peace. Everybody just wanted to continue to live uh, their nice and peaceful lives um, as if nothing bad was going to happen when, when you sin against God. And of course, you know, whenever there's a guy in, in the midst of people who say good news, there's this one guy who says all this bad news. 
what do you what do you think the people think of the guy who says the bad news all the time? They don't really like him all that much. So yeah, Jeremiah was rejected and he was hated all of his ministry. And the weeping voice of this one man still echoes in our Bibles 2,600 years later. And the land of Judah was all that was left in that whole region after the Assyrians devastated Israel and carried off its inhabitants in 722 B.C. Okay, so Israel, remember the northern kingdom? They've already been carried off to Assyria. That nation already is no more in that land. Uh, you know, about a hundred years before Jeremiah's prophecies, Israel's already gone. And Judah still doesn't get it. They don't get that, oh, we're, we're following in the same path as Israel, but they think, oh, God surely isn't going to do that to us. This is where Jerusalem is. This, is. this is where the real people of God are. And Jeremiah was saying, no, no, no. And, and it became really obvious already because Babylon was already threatening the people of Judah and already called for Judah to give allegiance to them. Okay? Now here's the question. Would God save Judah from Babylon in spite of their wickedness? Jeremiah's answer was clear. No. Repent or die. You don't have a choice. But all the other false prophets were saying what? They were saying, peace, peace, it's okay. They, they, yeah, they gave a false promise of deliverance from Babylon. But God was using Babylon, just like he used Assyria, to judge and to correct his people. And today we do the exact same thing, right? You know, we can use religious truths and, uh, in order to lie and to deliver falsehood, right? We can hide behind our religious affiliations. We can hide behind our churches. We can hide behind our uh, doctrinal correctness while at the same time being in hardcore rebellion against God. And it's often, we, we often hear only what we want to hear, Right? You know, our parents may give us warnings. Hey, don't jump off the roof onto the trampoline. Or, hey, don't jump off the roof into the swimming pool. But it's fun. And it's, it, nothing's going to happen to us. We're going to be all right. Peace, peace. So anyway, yeah, so our parents may give us these warnings. And we're just like, ah, oh, and, and you may stop doing it for a little while. But then you eventually find yourself doing it again. Um, you know, and you end up with a broken arm or something, right? And, and your mom, your dad, if, you know, if they were wise about the situation, uh, they could have said, I told you so, but hopefully they, they didn't, right? I Did mean, they, they might have, I don't well, know. Well, uh, maybe. Oh, uh, when I was jumping from bed to bed, I, never I was warned not to do that, but I did it anyways, and that's how I got the scar on my leg. Oh, well, there you go. You got cut? Oh, my goodness. Ouch. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. So uh, in your mind, you were saying, peace, peace. It's fine. This will be fun. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. Yeah. So, you know, and, and often we, we're only going to hear what we want to hear. We didn't, you didn't really hear that warning or take heed to it because it's like, well, this is fun. But, you know, it ended up, uh, you know, giving you a scar. So our parents may give us warnings that we really don't want to listen to. And we may choose to ignore something simply because we don't like it. And in Jeremiah, in the book, the people, often the leaders of the people, they didn't want to hear Jeremiah's warnings. Uh, they didn't want to hear that, uh, you know, jumping off the roof and onto the trampoline 
could probably could break their arms, right, or break their legs. Uh, they didn't want to hear all that. They heard only what they wanted to hear, and that's why they listened to the false prophets. Um, if there was another authority in your house saying, "Oh, it's okay, you can keep jumping," you know, which one would you choose if you want to do that? You would choose the other person who's saying, "Go ahead and jump," right? So. <clears throat> That's why they listened to the false prophets, because they only uh, heard what they wanted to hear. And see, without a a clear commitment to hear all of God's word, not just the good parts, uh, we are only going to hear the truth, in quotes, that we want to hear. Partial truths often turn out to be completely false. And in our worldview, the one whose voice is always heard, that is who our ultimate authority is, right? Right? So whether it be a person's own desires, our own desires, or, or our reason, uh, or it could be you know, a false religious authority like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or things like that, uh, God intends for us to listen to him and to him only. And Christians should know that God's voice is plainly heard only in one place. And where is that? Where is God's voice clearly heard? You can't mistake it. The, 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 the thing you're literally touching. The Bible. Thank you. Exactly. So a person's view of who's in authority is like the foundation of a giant skyscraper. So what does the strength and the stability of the skyscraper depend on? What is its materials? What else? Or what it's built on. Oh, I thought you said what it's made out of. Yeah, what it's built on. Well, well I and, did originally. And what is it built on? Uh, What's that called? Firm foundation. Uh, interesting foundation. tune. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> a, a firm foundation. So it, the, the stability and the strength of the skyscraper is, is going to depend on the depth of the foundation. The same is true with God. Is God deep enough to be trusted as the foundation of your life? And we, have to, we must know God more in order to truly trust Him. And the Scriptures help us know, to know Him by telling us about who He is and what He does, right? So we can trust the voice of God because of who He is, because of His character. And Jeremiah shows us the character of the God of Scripture. And as we read Jeremiah this week, we're going to learn more of the the solidness, the the depth and stability of God's good and righteous character. And we're going to learn more of the depth of his mercy and his loving kindness. And Jeremiah shows the righteousness and grace of God, as well as the the heart-wrenching story of the sinfulness of people and the judgment that they deserved. Okay? Uh, But at the same time, during all this doom and gloom, we're going to read a lot about that. We are going to see something else. We're going to see an undeserved redemption, and we're going to see a promise of salvation in Jeremiah. So the essential meaning of Jeremiah is the punishment and the consequences for sin. But the Lord will still provide a future salvation for his people, uh, and he'll still judge them uh, and judge the other nations for their evil. So all of this sets the stage in history for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because the Lord is the triune God of Scripture, the book of Jeremiah gives a strong example of how he reveals himself. Uh, He speaks authoritatively. God speaks authoritatively. 
So over 50 times uh, in Jeremiah, we're going to see the phrase, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. So God speaks and his word is true. Uh, Jeremiah 1 verses 9 and 10 gives us the very mission of Jeremiah. It says this, it says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So God's word here is spoken through the man that God chose. And God tells Jeremiah, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah's call as that prophet shows how God speaks with authority. Okay? So prophecy in Scripture was a message to a historical people in an ongoing relationship. Does that make sense? Prophecy in Scripture was a message to a certain people. Who are the certain people in this instance? Jerusalem. Judah. Judah. It's Judah. Yeah, and, and they had an ongoing relationship with God. They were in covenant with God. God was, uh, up to this point, has bestowed His loving kindness upon them. And they've forgotten the Lord. And they ventured into worshiping idols and, and sinning against Him. Okay, And so Jeremiah unfolds God's plan and what he wants to do uh, with uh, regarding judgment and deliverance. So we can see in Jeremiah and in the other prophets too that there were consequences for not listening to the warnings of God's coming judgment. There were, there were consequences of not listening. Just like your mom and dad tell you to do something, you don't do it, or they tell you not to do something and you do it anyway. There are usually consequences uh, when you disobey them. So, uh, you know, we shouldn't think of prophecy as just giving you information about the future, right? That's how we tend to view prophecy. You know, a prophet comes and we think that they just tell us what's going to happen. No, a prophecy, it is that, but prophecy, uh, you know, it's not like, you know, prophets come, hear the winning lottery numbers for next week, and, you know, there you go. That's not what it's about. No, prophecy warns people. Prophecy confronts people. Uh, prophecy exhorts God's people to action. And so the word comes as a word of promised judgment or promised blessing inside of the context of a covenant. Uh, Jeremiah 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, Behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people wood. What happens when fire and wood come together? Fire, more fire, and what happens to the wood? Yeah, it cons- the fire consumes the wood, and that's exactly what happens here. It says, and the fire shall consume them. Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. That's some scary judgment right there that's coming to them. 
right? Because you sin and because you're continuing to be unfaithful to me, I'm going to send you to a place you're not even going to know what they're saying. You're not even going to understand their language. You're going to be so far from home, life is going to be totally miserable for you until you uh, become repentant. Uh, So in Jeremiah, we also see another reason for trusting the voice of the Lord. Uh, And we can see the characteristics of God's sovereignty here. In Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 12, we have an image of a potter, which is often alluded to in Scripture. Um, Pottery served a huge role in ancient times. Um, What are some functions of pottery back then? organs. Huh? Holding organs. Okay. Um, Not the main one. No. Sorry, my bad. What about... Stuff like spicy. Okay, so storage, yeah, like holding grain, um, holding flour. Um, it could serve as dishes and pot. Like it basically could do what pots and pans do today. You can you can put pottery on a fire and cook things inside, uh, kind of like a Dutch oven. You can make um, what's that? Like kind of stories, don't tell stories of pottery. I'm sorry. Do like a storyline on like on a piece of pottery? Yeah, they, they would uh, uh, write things or draw things on the pottery to explain uh, history and things of, of the culture of their people. Yeah. Um, what's an, another function of pottery, which isn't as popular, and we'll see why in a second, is used as chamber pots. Basically, it's the restroom. They use pots to go to the restroom in, right? So, so uh, which kind of pot is being shaped by the potter? Okay, which kind of pot? Whenever a potter shapes pots, like are there certain pots that he doesn't shape to form a pot, but they just kind of form to be a pot all by themselves? No, the pot there has to be a potter in order for there to be pots, right? No matter what the function of the pot is, whether it's holding water, wheat, or grain, or whether it's a chamber pot, the potter still has to shape it. It's the same thing with God. God has the power and the right to shape reshape or throw away the clay as he wishes. And in other parts of the Bible, who who does uh who do the biblical writers refer to as pots? Us. Oh, Us. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Right. And God is completely sovereign over the pots. And so Paul uses this image in the New Testament uh, of the potter and the clay that same illusion that's in Jeremiah, he uses it in Romans 9, verses 20 through 23. Paul says this, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use? We can think of grain and water and wine. Those are honorable uses for pots. Or for, does he say this, to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Well, we can guess what the other one is. Well, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy? which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So what is this saying? Paul is saying that God is, can, use, can use us and use pots any way he chooses. He can use pots for honorable use. He can create pots for dishonorable use. He can create pots to, uh, 
to, uh, to serve a, a very noble and wonderful function in the household, or you can make pots that the only purpose for them is later on they're going to be destroyed. It's, but the point is, is that we cannot shape ourselves. Uh, God, the, the sovereign potter, has to create the pots. He is sovereign over the pots. Okay, And this announcement of the potter's power is also a message that should be listened to. So God uh, can pronounce destruction, and if the people repent, guess what? That pot doesn't have to be created for destruction. It, he can reshape the pot for something honorable. Right? Think about us and our sin. You know, uh, Jesus says that it's not what comes out of a man that defiles him. It's what's inside of a man that defiles him. Right? So we being take that pot analogy into it. Uh, what is inside of us? Is it dishonorable things or honorable things without the Lord? Dishonorable, dishonorable things. Right. Exactly. The heart is uh, deceitfully wicked. But God, as we know, can change our heart. So he can change uh, what's inside of the pot, and he can change what the pot is used for. He can turn a dishonorable pot into an honorable one. Okay? So <clears throat> uh, that's, that's something that Jeremiah is trying to explain uh, to Judah. Okay? Um, let's see. If the people repent, he can reshape the pot. Think about this. God is so sovereign that he takes into account what the message of God's sovereignty will affect. Think about that for a second. You understand what I just said? God is so sovereign that he takes into account not only the message that he speaks, repent or perish, but he also is sovereign over uh, what, uh, how that message is going to affect people. Right? So not only he can he tell us to repent, he is sovereign over whether we will repent or not. Right? And so the the Lord's character in Jeremiah isn't like, you know, ugly concrete. We're about to pour some concrete out here in the on the building uh to make this foundation. It should be coming as soon as the the rain lets off. But in your mind, like just basic concrete, like concrete in the parking lot. It, do y'all find that concrete to be pretty? Like, is it beautiful? Yes, it tastes pretty good. <laughs> That's strange. No, no, it's ugly. It's ugly. Well, the Lord... Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you can. Uh, the Lord's character in Jeremiah is not like ugly concrete. You know, we would describe concrete as strong, right? It's strong, yeah, it's, but it's rough. It's ugly. But God, uh, His character, is as strong as concrete and as strong as steel, but it's as smooth and as beautiful as polished granite. So He is a judge, right? That's His, his harshness, his, his strength, His roughness. But He is also compassionate. That's the, the beauty of uh, polished granite. And so Jeremiah 3.12 speaks of both God's anger towards backsliding Israel and of his mercy. He says this. He says, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. That's good. And the Lord shows his mercy with his promise of eventually what happens to the Israelites. They get exiled, but then what happens? Redeemed. They're redeemed? But how does that play out in the world, in reality? What eventually happened to them? They were brought back to the land. They were, they were returned from exile. That's only because of God's kindness, not because of what Israel did. No. 
And those who do eventually return back to the land, uh, they return to worship God from exile, and they're going to know and understand God's mercy more completely. And Jeremiah foretells of this in Jeremiah 33.11. Remember, this hadn't happened yet. Jeremiah is speaking of this day in the future, a good deal in the future. He says, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Uh, That's great news, but that's not really going to happen to the people who are living in the time. They're going to have to deal with judgment. So uh, they're not even, they don't even care what Jeremiah says at this point. It's still peace, peace when there is no peace. So for the time being, Jeremiah's message is going to be rejected. He's going to be rejected too. You know, he was insulted. He was injured. He was assaulted by people. He was lowered into a pit. They wanted to get rid of Jeremiah because they hated his message. And just as Jeremiah was rejected, guess who else was rejected? Jesus was rejected. Uh, the scriptures say of Jesus in John 1.11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And so Jesus gave the same message, the same message of judgment to unrepentant Israel later on. And he acted like Jeremiah as he warned that not long from then, uh, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed in 70 AD. And right in the middle of Jeremiah's book of weeping, of, of warning, and of sadness and woes, he ties together the covenant-breaking people of Judah with the promised hope of a new covenant. There is hope. Not all is hopeless in Jeremiah. Uh, and this new covenant is central to the people of God today since Jesus is the mediator of that new covenant. It's so central that even uh, the second portion of the scriptures that proclaim Jesus' actions is called what? What's that second part of the book of the Bible? It's the old blank and the new blank. Huh? Yeah, the Old Testament and the New Testament. That uh, This whole idea of a new covenant coming was so significant that, you know, uh, people named what Jesus did and his actions after he came into this world the New Testament, which is really is an older term used for covenant. Okay? So, to end this, to tie all this together, when our mom or dad gives us a warning, we should listen, right? Yes. Yes. If we don't, we may find ourselves in the hospital with a cast on. Because of that. They, they were mad at me because I didn't listen to them. No. <laughs> Sorry, didn't but even if we don't listen, we know that our mother's love isn't going to stop, right? No. Right? Right, right. Even if we do break our arms and legs doing something foolish. So the voice of the Lord, who is our highest authority, even higher than mom and dad, warns us and he tells us that judgment is coming if we don't stop acting foolish. And that foolishness is going to result in, it could result in broken bones. It could result in something a lot worse. Yet, at the same time, just like your mom and dad, God never stops loving his covenant people. And he promises even to uh, to save anybody who turns to him in faith. Okay? 
This is the heart cry right from the center of Jeremiah. So in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the misery and judgment, Jeremiah tells of a new covenant of mercy and forgiveness through this new covenant based on the final once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the work of Christ at the cross and the Lord's Supper, which celebrates his sacrifice, those things fulfill the new covenant. Jesus' death is the basis of forgiveness, and the Lord's Supper is the rehearsal dinner of his victory. And Jesus promised this in Matthew 26. It says, For this is, in, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we have the blessings of this new covenant. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this new covenant. Thank you for giving us new life. Thank you for changing who we are uh, as we uh, believe in you in faith. Father, you have, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you have uh, revived us and given us a new heart uh, to where we want to worship you and serve you. Father, if there's any sins that we are persistent in committing and, and holding on to, Lord, use the book of Jeremiah to warn us and to cause us to repent, lest we, like the people of Judah, uh, would perish and die in our sins. Father, help us with these things. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.